focus on appreciation potential. If you get it, it's a cherry on top, but you need to focus on, on cash flow of the in-place cash flow, as well as the projected cash flow. Make sure that the projected cash flow is realistic. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best of your listeners, and welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today I'll be speaking with Antoine Matley. Antoine, how are you doing today? Very good. Thanks, Theo, for having me. Yeah, and thank you for joining me as well. A little bit about Anton's background. So he is the CEO of Peak Financing and has 20 years of real estate experience with a personal portfolio of over 200 units, not syndicated. He is based in Dallas, Texas, and his website is peakfinancing.com. And today we're going to talk about commercial real estate financing as it relates to the coronavirus. Before we talk about that, Anton, do you mind telling us some more about your background and what you're focused on today? Sure, happy to. As your listeners can hear, 
even though I'm based in Dallas, Texas, I'm not from Texas. I was born in Switzerland. And right after school, I studied finance economics. I went into banking, worked for UBS in New York, then Tokyo and Hong Kong. And then I left banking. So I have worked all around the world, always in real estate related activities and other financing activities. And after that, I started helping high net worth individuals and family offices with their direct investments. And I have been involved in this now for roughly 20 years. And separately from that, we also have founded Peak Financing, which is a financing intermediary. So essentially, we are a commercial mortgage broker. And we find the best financing solutions for commercial real estate based on the asset where it's located, as well as the sponsors. And we make sure that there is a certainty to close, right, which is a crucial piece to the puzzle, as you know. Before we go into the financing part, you said that you manage money for families and then high net worth individuals? Yes. My focus on that is no longer as strong as it was in the past. My focus always was on direct investments, whether it was real estate or other type of alternative investments, as they're Mm -hmm. also called. So the non-traded securities, obviously, real estate and commercial real estate always made up a big bulk of it. But some of the other investments were also industrial firms as well as oil and gas and Mm -hmm. similar type of investments. Okay. Let's talk about commercial real estate financing. And I'm going to be selfish and focus on multifamily. So do you work with all types of apartment investors? Or do you only do agency debt or only bridge debt? Is there a certain unit number you want to see or minimum loan amount that you want to see? I'm trying to get a picture of what types of loans you do. Sure. Generally speaking, we prefer to be above the 1 million mark, ideally above the 2 million mark, but we have done a lot of deals for with a property value of a million and a half to 2 million too. In that space, certainly agency debt, whether it's Freddie, SBL, or Fannie, or IDL, as long as a property is stabilized. If not, then it's typically a bank loan. As a property gets larger, we have been doing also a lot of bridge loans. Over the last six months or so since COVID-19 hit, not as many of those because a lot of bridge lenders stopped lending. But they're still for good sponsors and good locations, good assets with a true website potential. There are still bridge loans available. We are also doing CMBS loans, life insurance companies for lower leverage loans, mezzanine loans in certain situations, typically for larger deals for more experienced sponsors. So we essentially find the right financing solution for a particular situation. Okay, so you do it all then? Yes. uh, Over a certain size? That's correct, yes. So let's talk about the bridge loans first, because you mentioned that in the current environment, and I've heard this too, and many people listening have probably heard this as well, that bridge lenders, some of them have stopped entirely, other ones have slowed down. But you mentioned that there are still some available to good sponsors, good markets, stabilized deals. So let's talk about what you mean by a good sponsor. So if someone comes to you and they located a deal that isn't going to qualify for agency debt, 
or they want a bridge loan, maybe to cover renovation costs. What types of things are you checking off the list to make sure that, okay, this person is going to qualify for a bridge loan right now, or, okay, no, this person is going to get rejected? So in the past, because there were so many players that came into the market for bridge debt, it was very easy to get bridge debt virtually for anyone. As long as you had the financial strength with the minimum net worth and liquidity, you were able to do it. And the reason for that really was is that most bridge lenders that were out there, they did similar to CMBS loans, right? So they originated a loan and then they sold it into the CLO market, which is essentially collateralized loan obligation. And so it's securitized. So they, it didn't really stay on their book for more than maybe three to 12 months maximum because the CLO market really has collapsed since COVID-19. Most players that are still active, they have a strong balance sheet and they are willing to keep these bridge loans on the balance sheet if they are not able to securitize it. As a result, they want to focus on sponsors that have true experience with these type of assets. So they're really looking for someone who has already done it in the past or partners up with someone who has already experience with true value-add properties, rather than someone who just feels, well, here I want to have a value-add deal. And as you know, particularly in the syndication space, everyone is looking for that. That's not really for newcomers to the game. It's very hard to get a decent bridge loan. But the benefit is, as you also know, and many of your listeners know, is you can partner up with someone who brings that experience to the table. Is there a specific number of years or number of units, number of deals, or is it more on a case-by-case basis, or is it just, I've done one value-add deal, so now I qualify for it? Yeah, obviously, the more the merrier, right? But at least one that went full circle that they want to see, ideally in the same market where the new deal is being targeted, as well as a similar size. Perfect. And then let's talk about the agency debt now. I know one of the big changes is the upfront reserves that are required. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Obviously, that's on everyone's mind. And it makes it tough, particularly for syndicators, right? When they need to achieve a certain cash and cash return in year one and year two, and they need to raise more equity. There is just no other way around it, depending on the leverage. And again, for syndicators specifically, most want to go for maximum leverage. So the reality is for most of these agency loans, it will be nine months to 12 months of principal and interest. And if it's a smaller loan on the small balance Fanny side, then it's still 18 months. At least on the Freddie SPL side, it's 12 months. So that's certainly a benefit to go with a Freddie SPL. Frankly speaking, whenever it's possible in that sub $6 million mark and it fits into the Freddie SPL box, I would generally advise to go with Freddie SPL anyhow compared to Fannie. But coming back to these reserve requirements that need to go into escrow, it obviously is a hard pill to swallow. But frankly speaking, other than the fact that the lender controls these funds rather than you as a borrower, you should really, in my opinion, raise those funds regardless. Right? Even if the lender didn't require you to raise escrow these 12 month or nine month or whatever it might be of principal interest, 
it's really advisable to have that raised anyhow, because at this point, we still do not know how the situation will evolve after the election and into 2021. So if you have a new deal, it's really worthwhile to have plenty of cash cushion. Sure. So if the lender does require the reserves and I raise 12 months principal and interest, what happens to that money? Do I have access to it after a year? Do I have access to it until the deal is sold? When do I have access to this capital? Yeah. So generally with Freddie, you can get it back a little bit later. The rule there is it needs to be essentially for 90 days, all the restrictions have to be lifted. And then you need to be sure that your property has been performing for two quarters. So I would say in a best case scenario, you may get that money out within six to nine months. But realistically speaking, it's probably more 12 months to a year and a half unless you are in a just perfect situation. So I would anticipate if I raise money that that money potentially sits with the lender for a year to a year and a half. Now, if you need that money for that service, you actually can have access to it. It is really meant as a principal and interest reserve. So if for whatever reason Due to COVID-19 or other reasons, right, it's very hard to tell, but whether it's very specific to COVID-19 or not, but if you have collection issues, if you have occupancy issues, and you in turn have a cash flow issues that makes it harder for you to service your debt, you can ask the lender to pull from these funds to service the debt, right? Obviously, you cannot just decide that on your own, but you can make that request. That's what I was going to ask you. So I'm assuming that they're going to check to make sure you actually need it. This might not be something that changed during the current pandemic, but when it comes to these reserves, these upfront reserves are different than ongoing lender reserves or... That's completely separate. Yes. So that's definitely completely separate. You still have the replacement reserves that you have to fund, right? If the lender also requires you, and that's depending on the program and how the lender assesses the risk, you may also have to escrow insurance and or taxes. Very often you don't have to do that. But the replacement reserves definitely have always to be funded separately from that principal and interest. And then is that again kind of held by the lender for the entire That's, hold period or? Well, it's really meant for replacements, right? So as you do replacements, you can draw from these. So essentially it's a money in and money out eventually, right? So as you spend money, you can request to get money back for proven replacements that you have done. And all the while you continue to do your monthly that service that also includes a certain amount for replacement reserves. So then besides the bridge loan and the agency loan, you mentioned a few of the other loan programs that you do. I imagine that bridge loans and the agency debt are the most popular. So correct me if I'm wrong, but assuming they are, what's the third most common loan program that you see apartments indicators specifically will use for their deals? Pre-COVID-19, I would say in the non-recourse space, CMBS loans were pretty popular whenever they didn't fit into agency box, whether it was a sponsor that was too weak or the property was 
close to stabilized, but just did not meet agency standards in terms of location or repairs or condition of the property. With CMBS loans also having fallen off the cliff in March, they have come back a little bit, but it's still a very tight market to actually put deals into it. It can be done, but it's still not something that is nearly as readily available as before. For syndicators, other than that, bank loans are still a valid option. Obviously, under the 1 million mark, most syndicators actually go with bank loans, even though they are non-recourse. But we have also done bank loans above the million mark for various reasons, even though there might be recourse. Some banks are doing non-recourse if the leverage is a little bit lower, but the majority is recourse. But some still prefer to go with a bank loan rather than a bridge because you have much less restrictions compared to a bridge loan. You have much less upfront cost. And some also go with a bank loan because they don't want to get into the prepayment penalty issues that you have with agency loans. So they are happy to go with a five or seven, sometimes 10-year bank loan, even though the amortization is typically 20, 25 years, but they can easily refinance later or sell the property without any issue. That typically only happens when a syndicator is strong enough to partner up or do it by him or herself or partner up with someone who is strong enough who also feels comfortable to go with recourse. Most syndicators cannot do it because they have to rely on other financial backers that insist on non-recourse loans. But there's only a pocket of syndicators that are perfectly fine with that. Okay, Anton, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? And I'm going to add context to that and say, apply it to apartment syndicators looking to do deals during COVID-19. Sure, absolutely. I would say I have applied that rule since I started investing personally, and I see it over and over again with syndicators. It's focus on cash flow. Do not focus on appreciation potential. If you get it, it's a cherry on top, but you need to focus on on cash flow of the in-place cash flow, as well as the projected cash flow. Make sure that the projected cash flow is realistic rather than just a number that you need to get to in order to entice investors to invest with you. Perfect. Okay, Anton, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Okay, first a quick word from our sponsor. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dwellynn.com forward slash show. What is the best ever book you've recently read? Well, there are a number of them. Once in a while, I read The Tipping Point by Malcolm Cloudwell. And particularly now with COVID-19, I think it's a perfect 
book to reread with COVID-19 really creating that type of tipping point that no one anticipated. But certainly, I think it's worthwhile to mention since it's a syndicator show and why it's a Joe Fairler show. I have enjoyed the best ever apartment investor syndication book by Joe Toe, which I think is really worthwhile for any upcoming syndicator to read. But there are some others like Frank Gallinelli written a book about cash flow in real estate. One of the probably done that 20 years ago, but he has read on his book and that's uh, more technical, but it's really also important. And again, for cash flow for me is so crucial for syndicators. So that book by Frank Alinelli is also worthwhile to read. If your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? Pick up the pieces and restart. I have been an entrepreneur now for, or business owner, or whatever you want to call it, for 20 years. I have my failures with ventures I attempted. And the only thing that you can do is pick up the pieces and move on and restart. What is the best ever way you like to give back? Because we have been involved in multifamily and particularly also in workforce housing, we obviously meet a lot of people that are in need and a lot of them are in need not because of their own fault but because of just bad luck and we support a homeless shelter that is local to us that has a very unique approach to them it's a Samaritan Inn in McKinney that's just north of Dallas and it's not the typical homeless center but they're actually bringing in families and teach them to get back to to independent living. So it's not just, okay, here you have a roof over your head, here you have food, but rather actively help them, everyone in, in the whole family, to get back out and live an independent life. And then last question, what's the best ever place to reach you? I would say the best is probably by email. My email is Anton at peakfinancing.com. I'm also very active on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. So really easy to reach. Perfect, Anton. Well, thank you for joining me today and going into lots of details and updates on commercial real estate financing, specifically multifamily financing due to the current virus. And we talked about the bridge loans and kind of the reasonings behind those have slowed down, but how they still are available, but only available to sponsors that have true experience, whether that be me or you or the individual themselves or a business partner. And more specifically, what you mean by true experience would be doing at least one deal in the same market similar size, same business plan, and it had to have gone full cycle. So you not just buy, but manage, and then disposition on the backside. We talked about agency debt and the upfront reserves, how those have gone up and how that affects syndicators, but you recommend raising those funds regardless of whether they're required or not. We talked about best case scenario, you have access to those funds within six to nine months, whereas 12 to 18 months is more realistic. And then you're still required to do the ongoing replacement reserves. So they're separate from the upfront reserves. And that's a pay it and take it type of account. You also said that the CMBS loans were the next most popular before COVID-19, but obviously that's not the case anymore. And then you also talked about some of the pros of bank loans, 
over the other programs and when it might make sense to go for a bank loan over an agency loan or a bridge loan. And then your best ever advice to syndicators during these times and all time is to focus on cash flow and not appreciation, which as you know from our book is one of the three immutable laws, buy for cash flow, not for appreciation. Appreciation is the cherry on top or as the in-place cash flow and then realistic projected future cash flow is the cake in that analogy. So Anton, thanks again for joining me today and sharing your knowledge on financing. Best of listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. It's a pleasure.